This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Sam Cohn this week, Dante Colinelli, and Kyle Gauss are off, so it's... Just the two of us, you know. Just the two of us. I was gonna say if we uh, <laughs> if we had a like an ASCAP or CSAC license, we whatever we'd need for uh, having Bill Withers. That's a Bill Withers song, right? Just the two of I us. Am... Bill Withers and Grover Washington, <laughs> sure. I think. Sure. This podcast Never. will henceforth be known as the dynamic duo, though. There we go. No disrespect to Kyle or Dante, but it's just the way it is. Kyle will have something to say about this next week if he's if he's on. If he listens to it, yes, um, <laughs> yeah. Season seven, episode six. I would ask you if you know some famous number sixes, but you've said before that you're you're bad LeBron. with numbers. Jabron, Jabron, James. Julius Irving, the doctor. Yeah, we should stop. Nothing else. Yeah. Before was we Bill, embarrass ourselves. Was Bill Russell number six? Yeah, he was. There we go. It's famous, these famous Boston athletes. It's almost as if you grew up just, just. outside of Boston. You don't <laughs> and you don't remember numbers. Why is that? Correct. <laughs> uh, not 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 a numbers guy. Not That's numbers your opinion. <laughs> channeling channeling Norm McDonald there, the late great Norm McDonald who just passed uh, away. Do you, yes. you ever see him? Uh, did you ever see him as Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live? You've gone back and watched. Actually, that? yeah. Uh, so I Norm uh, Norm McDonald's was one of those Norm McDonald's one of those people that when I saw that he passed, I was like, I didn't know the name, but when I'd seen videos and I'd heard his voice, I was like, oh my god, I know exactly who that uh, is. Phenomenal. He was absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal comic. Yeah, I don't know why that. Well, popped into my head because he just passed away. But yeah, when he's Burt Reynolds on Celebrity Jeopardy and. Uh, mm-hmm. That Will Ferrell's Alex Trebek will tell me he's wrong. He's like, ah, it's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Um, well, we've got more football to get into this week. A very, very full mailbag. So thank you to all of you, uh, our alscoop.com subscribers who contributed mailbag questions this week. Uh, so, And we will be talking some basketball, too. We've got some basketball questions in the mailbag. So that'll make Sam happy. Um, so we've got a Temple-Akron game to recap here, looking ahead to Boston College. Again, some uh, pretty full mailbag to look at. So let's get right to talking about this Akron game, a 45-24 win. Uh, certainly wasn't pretty at first. Temple fell behind 14-0, but I don't know. I mean, not really breaking any news here, but I, 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 I'm thinking that this is exactly what they needed, the 14-0 deficit and all. Um, you know, I, Temple could have and should have really just put their foot on the gas from start to finish here. Uh, Akron's not a good football team by any means, but I think Rod Carey said there are a lot of positives that came out of this. Justin Lynch's performance, some, you know, uh, some signs of Rayvon Bonner showing up and playing, getting into the end zone, uh, the defense generating some points. Will Cuenca, I should say, you know, let's, let's say that here. There were some people who are watching the game and saying they keep mispronouncing his name. No, that is actually how Will Cuenca pronounces his last name. It is Cuenca, not Cuencu. So we have been mispronouncing his name. Uh, I was told that he corrected someone recently on that. So our apologies to Will. It is Will Cuenca. That's how he pronounces his last name. He scored a defensive touchdown, Manny Walker, but that acrobatic interception uh, and the return for the touchdown. Um, I think this is exactly what they needed. Again, it's not a good thing to fall behind 14 nothing to a really bad football team. But I think that if this had the chance to get really ugly, because if they fall behind 14 to nothing, and if there is absolutely no mental, you know, fortitude on this team and they fall behind and lose, I think it's fair to look at this team and say, do they do they turn this around? Do they win a, do they win a game this year? Now, granted they're playing Wagner in a couple of weeks an FCS team, but if you go on the road and you lose to a really bad Akron team, again, all bets are off. So um, I, I think that they, in some ways, maybe kind of needed to needed to fall behind. What are your thoughts on that, Sam? 
The other thing I would add to what you're saying is that it, it you mentioned like it being good for them, good the the win being good for them in the 14-0 deficit, kind of helping that. I think if Temple loses to Rutgers in week one by 45 or whatever it was, and then blows out Akron in week two, I don't think they're thinking about Rutgers the same way. I don't think they're thinking about their team the same way. I think from an interior perspective, they're going into BC and it's not even close. I think because like Boston College is a legitimate football program uh, and is going to be a challenge for Temple. I think right. because because of the way they lost to Rutgers and because of the way they started against Akron, from an interior perspective, that says the guys on this team, and this is just me speculating, I think that says, okay, there something needs to change here. They can't they can't just walk into a game as they did against Akron and just win games. Whether or not it's Akron, whether or not it's Boston College, whether or not it's Rutgers, there has to be something, some like some kind of switch that turns on like they need to be able to strike first. And because that happened against a team like Akron, who I think they can also, in hindsight, and maybe a little bit of foresight, like Akron wasn't a great football team. But now that Temple understands that it's vulnerable and it's been out on the field and that's happened, they've been down two scores to a team like Akron, maybe that fires up some juices of them, like not just saying it, but really being cognizant of the fact that it doesn't matter who they're playing. They need to come out on the first play and they need to strike first and they need to make things happen. Things aren't like they have the talent. They like they, the 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 ability to win football games is there. It's not just going to happen. They need to take it. Yeah, and again, but by by no means am I excusing the poor play. Again, you should not be. You really uh, should course, not be. Yeah. You shouldn't be getting your first points against Akron with two minutes twenty six seconds left in the first quarter, and you shouldn't be falling behind fourteen nothing. But I, I don't know. Uh, again, they'll you got to get something out of these first couple of weeks if you're Temple and you want to try to salvage the season and get headed in the right direction. And again, maybe this uh, is in some way, shape or form what they needed. Because again, I think we talked about this last week. I mean, like a big part of what has turned around this program over the last decade and change is they really had to learn how to win coaches, assistant coaches coming in and teaching, teaching the program, how to win, how to, how to, how to respond to sudden change and stuff like that. And, you know, it, at certain points of the, the Rod Carey era, we've seen a regression in that, in that area. So being able to snap out of it and saying, essentially, holy crap, if we don't get this turned around as football players, this could get really, really lucky, really, really, uh, not lucky, really, really bad. Um, they needed something. If this is what springboards them to some better play, so be it. Uh, we're going to play a clip for you in a second from Will Cuenca. Again, he did have that defensive touchdown that really, you know, was a key piece of that game. Of course, Temple got on the board, made it 14 to seven on that 70 yard pass. I know people say, oh, was it a pass? It was a jet sweep, but it technically goes in the books as like a little push pass from push pass from Justin Lynch to Randall Jones that got him on the board at 14 to seven. Then they fall behind 17 to seven. Then that 38 yard fumble recovery touchdown from Will Cuenca got them within 17 to 14. And then they were really on their way after that. The Manny Walker seven yard interception return, uh, put them ahead to stay 21 to 17. Then they were really off and running. Uh, but here's a clip from Will uh, just talking about slow starts and, you know, how, again, it obviously has been a big part of these, these first two weeks of the season, but here's Will uh, talking about that. Um, I think it was more so internally. So with, with us, just the way we approached the game, um, we did have a slow start from the warm-ups, um, how we, um, and, and eventually it cost us the first half, how we, um, so it didn't, it wasn't much of them changing anything. It was more so us, you know, really locking in and, and, and realizing that this is not the way we play. This is not, um, you know, our standard and, and turning it up and, you know, making, executing plays here and there did help shifting the momentum, but it was, um, it's something that was already starting to do within the sideline and um, talking with the coaches and within our player group and our leadership and leadership guys. All right. So, I mean, again, an important contribution. There's still a lot of work for this defense to do. And, and again, this week will be a much bigger test uh, against a, a very good Boston college team. Yes, they are without their quarterback. And that's a big, big blow to them that Phil Jerkovich is out for, uh, the rest of the season with a hand injury, but 
a much better team. But, you know, Will's an interesting guy to talk about here because, again, he's a sixth year guy. I think that, you know, at times on this podcast, we've said, you know, he's solid, dependable, but we wonder if guys like Yvonne Rigby, Jordan McGee, some of these younger linebackers could push some of the older guys out of the way. But, you know, I think two weeks in a row here, Will's played pretty well and, you know, sounds like an obvious statement, but they needed that out of him. Uh, again, one of the most encouraging things, and it's easy to focus on the quarterback, but we'd be remiss if we didn't obviously focus on the fact that this was a big moment for Justin Lynch in the program. Again, kind of like, I hate to compare Temple to the Eagles, but if you're an Eagles fan after that first week, you're thinking, oh, well, they look great. They look great under, you know, week one of the Nick Sirianni era, but you know, they did it against the Falcons. You know, how do we feel as fans? If you're looking at this Temple team, they needed a win. They got it against against Akron, but still a very, very impressive performance from Justin Lynch. The 18-year-old true freshman comes in, uh, starts in Dewan Mathis's place. Now, Dewan Mathis is now considered day-to-day instead of week-to-week. Rod Carey said on Monday, will he play on Saturday? We, 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 we don't know. Uh, but I think if you're Temple, you're feeling a lot better going into Saturday, having seen this body of work from Justin Lynch. Again, regardless of, you know, regardless of who he did it against, very impressive performance on his part. 19 of 23 passing, 255 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, ran for a third. Again, 70 of his passing yards came on that jet sweep, push pass to, to Randall Jones. Um then he had the what the 27 yarder to Jones later in the game over the middle, perfectly yeah. yeah over the middle perfectly thrown had another one that was it to Jones that who was the one who dropped the pass in the end zone I think there was like this little fade route uh where he couldn't have thrown it I much better it, I forget if it was Jones or Jose Barbon yeah I can't remember either um but again I mean played very very well uh after the game was about as composed as you could hope an 18 year old true freshman to be you know a lot of you know, a lot of what he was saying, you know, sounds like the typical things that you would hear, you know, like he said, you know, I consider pressure to be a privilege and stuff, but, you know, didn't really seem overwhelmed by the moment. Again, we'll keep saying it. Boston College is going to be a different beast of an opponent, but still you have to go out and win the football game. And again, for him to really only miss fire on four passes and go 19 of 23 passing, still very, still very impressive. And again, you know, you're talking about a true freshman quarterback who goes out there, you're trailing seven, nothing. Then you're trailing 14, nothing. Um, he didn't seem to get too rattled. Um, and it looks like they really focused on things like, you know, getting the ball out in space to their playmakers, not asking him to do too much. Uh, there's stuff to get into here. Like, like we said, Rayvon Bonner got into the end zone. They were eventually able to start running the ball more in the second half. Sam, what'd you think of, of uh, Lynch's performance in this whole thing? I think uh, you described him very well in the sense that uh, on Monday, on Monday's presser, you would ask Rod something about Justin Lynch. And you would said he looks like an 18 year old or he composes himself like an 18 year old going on 26 mm-hmm. and all his teammates have given him so much praise for the preparation he does during the week uh, and everything he's been able to bring to that group without Dewan Mathis. I think if you're Temple, if you're from the outside or from the inside, I no one is looking, no one is looking at this season like Justin Lynch should be the starter the rest of the way. I don't think he's anywhere near what a quarterback controversy should look like. I think if if you're a Temple, you're hoping Dewan Mathis comes back as soon as possible. But what we saw from Justin Lynch and Akron is best case scenario for Temple because they're not losing their starting quarterback and then fumbling for someone that can just be on the field under center. They're not figuring out. It's not like they're looking at Justin Lynch, Mariano Valenti, Real Mitchell, and maybe even Matt Duncan and saying, which one of these four guys can play? We're going to have to play all of them until one of them separates himself. We're not having a, you know, a quarterback competition in the middle of the season fighting for the second string. It seems like Justin Lynch, after, like if you, if you look solely at the Rutgers game, of a game that an 18-year-old was thrown into the fire, it's hard to say anything positive about that performance or that. But I think that was the kind of thing that really helped him. And I'm going to make a basketball reference with this, a Temple basketball reference. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the time that Damian Dunn played against Houston 
which different circumstances played against Houston and um, he After talked the about jump, the jump from NJIT to Houston where it was like, oh yeah, I can't get, I can't just lean in and get these calls that I was getting against NJIT. Exactly. It was one of those like, holy shit moments because Justin mm-hmm. Lynch had done really well in, in fall camp. He had gotten a lot of praise. He done, he was obviously spectacular in high school. That was like his welcome to the league moment. Like this is you're thrown into a situation like this against a really good opponent. And it's how do you handle that adversity? And how do you bounce back? And we saw him against Rutgers, or not against Rutgers. We saw him against Akron uh, figure things out. He was able to, I mean, then him being at the helm, him starting from start to nearly finish, he was able to kind of have a whole game, majority of a whole game under his belt and really figure things out uh, under center. It wasn't like he was just kind of thrown into a situation that uh, in the middle of a game. So I think having that ability to, um, having that experience against Rutgers helps him in the long term having the game against Akron and having that performance helps him for his confidence in the short term in terms of the way he was able to bounce back. But at the end of the day, he had a couple of really nice passes. He, he was very composed and he seems like a really bright kid for his age. Yeah. And I, and I think it for at least one week, and again, football is obviously a very process oriented sport. I can't remember if we had a mailbag question about this last week, but I know that I had at least a few people who were texting me, during the Rutgers game. And again, they were, they were reacting like fans do. And some of the vibe that was out there was like, um, did this staff kind of shoehorn Justin Lynch in here because they love his brother and they're just kind of, they're kind of just fast tracking him to that number two quarterback position because they really like him. Are they kind of blinded by the family ties or they kind of, is this, does this kid need a little bit more development before he's ready? And I think for at least one week, he really answered that question. Again, things will get harder in the coming weeks if he has to continue to play. But again, if you, if you complete all but four of your passes, you don't turn the ball over Uh, again, he had a couple of nice throws again, that, that, that second touchdown pass to Randall Jones could not have thrown in any better you're still making throws against the division one program at the end of the day and leading to leading them to a win. And again, even if you as the quarterback are not responsible, necessarily wholly responsible for your team falling behind 14, nothing, a lot of that was on the defense. Um, now granted you could, you could put part of it on the offense because they didn't get things going at first on their side of the ball, a, a lot to overcome there in terms of being 18, just having turned 18, your first career start, um, you know, getting the image out of your head of like, oh, I threw a pick six against a a, a Big Ten team, uh, erasing that. You know, it sounds cliche, but moving on to the next play, he was able to do that, for, and that's a big, big step uh, in his development. And again, if you're Temple, you're really encouraged. And now I think people can see, okay, this is why, this is why he is the the, the backup to to you know to Dewan Mathis right now. Again, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Um, who plays? We don't. We don't know just yet. But I think if you're a Temple and you're Rod Carey and Mike Uremovich and you're saying, well, again, this is hypothetical. If you're looking at Mathis and saying we want to hold him out for one more week, you feel better now about holding him out for one more week if that's the case after what you've seen from uh, from Lynch. Uh, again, we mentioned Rayvon Bonner. Again, the transfer portal was a huge thing in the off season. Temple lost players, the game players, people wanted to know what Temple was getting and Rayvon Bonner, the Illinois transfer. And, um, you know, and he, and he, he'd been banged up. He missed the spring. He was banged up. The coaches had said that he was, you know, fighting an injury or fighting injuries in, in preseason camp. And, uh, and he played Saturday, carried the ball nine times, 53 yards, got into the end zone, had a touchdown run. Uh, you know, again, they, I think once they were able to get back into the mix, um, get some points on the board with the help of a couple of those defensive touchdowns. Again, the second of the two defensive touchdowns came from Manny Walker on that nice play where he leaps up into the air, gets the interception, returns it for seven yards. That puts him ahead by 21 to 17. You get the 26 yard field goal from Rory Bell that puts you ahead by a touchdown. Then there was the 27 yard pass, the beautifully thrown ball from Lynch to Randall Jones. that puts him ahead 31 to 17, the one yard touchdown run from Lynch made it 38 to 17. Then they were really starting to run the ball after that and control the clock and really kind of running it on Akron the way they, they could or should. Again, this was an Akron team that gave up 300 yards on the ground the week before at Auburn and Rayvon Bonner gets in from, 
from a yard out again, we'll, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record. We'll, we'll say here it came against Akron, but again, I, I think that a bunch of guys just on the team needed that game for some confidence to get, to get some carries, to see some success, to see the ball go into the end zone. And so there you have it, you know, Rayvon Bonner, you did see uh, a little bit of what he could do. He ran tough. The team as a whole seemed better prepared, at least not from the outset, but uh, they seemed more physical. They ran harder. They tackled better. Rod Carey mentioned that, that Jalen Ware tackled better uh, on Saturday, last Saturday. That was something that kind of hurt him uh, last year. So, you know, and again, you saw, Will Cuenca flash, Manny Walker needed to flash. They did Leighton Jordan, I think, um, needed to flash. You know, and again, this is a good, we'll kind of transition into Boston College here. This is a pretty good offensive line that they're going to be facing against Boston College. And, you know, will they be able to generate some sort of pressure on them? We'll see. Again, it's another test, but I think you see it save for the 14-0 deficit and the 17-7 deficit early on. Um you saw a lot of what you needed to see, and again, I'll go back to it. Maybe this is, uh, maybe this is exactly what they needed heading into into the Boston College game. And so, as we said, this is a, a still a pretty good Boston College team that they're facing. Yes, one of the big stories is that their quarterback, Boston College's quarterback Phil Jerkovich, is out for the rest of the season with a hand injury. As I said earlier, it looked last week against UMass that they might have been in some. Real trouble beyond that when Zay Flowers left the game with an injury. But as we understand it, I think he's going to be going to be back. I mean, really one of the better receivers in the entire country. He was a first team all CC, all ACC player last season and uh, had seven catches for 135 yards two weeks ago against Colgate. Bit of a smaller receiver, but uh, very good player. It's going to be a huge test for that Temple secondary. And so BC's backup quarterback, Dennis Grossel, took over for for Jerkovich last week against UMass. Goes 11 of 14 for 199 yards and a touchdown rush for another touchdown. Uh, you know, he's been thrust into this role before and he's gotten better as a quarterback with Jeff Halfley's staff than he was under Steve Adazio's staff. I'm not just taking a shot at Steve because he's a, a you know, a, a former Temple head coach, but, um, you know, but he's, he's gotten better. So I don't, I think if you're a Temple fan and you're going heading into this game and saying, oh, wow, you know, I think Temple's got a much better chance in an upset here because, Jerkovich is out. Yeah, I get that. Definitely hurts BC. But, you know, Grossel's been in this in this position before. He's been thrust into this role before. Uh, Aaron Bumeri, former Temple place kicker, is also out. He has a hip injury that's hurt him before. He's been out, um, and he'll be out for the rest of the season. So Danny Longman, who's kicked in his place before, um, will be kicking. He hasn't really been tested over the years uh, in terms of range. He had a 24-yard field goal against Colgate and a 27-yarder last week. I think that 27-yarder last week was the longest of his career. So again, this is a team that's dealing with some injuries too. Um, Patrick Garwo, the older brother of Temple cornerback Andrew Garwo is their top back, um, although they mix in some other guys in that backfield too. Uh, Garwo rushed for 160 yards on 15 carries last week. He's about 5'8", 215 pounds. He was really uh, – rivals Adam Ray is the top-rated running back in the state coming out of Conwell Egan back in 2019. Um, now, again, he did this against the UMass team that was you know, the second-worst team in the nation last year in defending the run. Uh, Temple's got to be mindful of Alex Singfield there. He's another smaller back around 5'9", 205. Uh, I mentioned before that Boston College has a pretty good offensive line. Alec Lindstrom is one of the better setters in the ACC – uh, ben Patrol is good too. He played guard last year. Now he's at right tackle. So again, this this Temple defensive front, you know, guys like Manny Walker, guys like Leighton Jordan, um, you know, Jacoby Mahone, like they have to now generate pressure against a much much better offensive line this week. Again, a, a guy like Manny Walker, a, a transfer that they took two seasons ago out of Wake Forest. Has to be a good thing for him to get into the end zone, make a play like that. Again, will it be as easy to do this week? Certainly not. But I think these guys just just needed something. A guy that's kind of been, and I, I hate to say this, it sounds, well, I don't know. It, a guy that's been a little bit of a disappointment so far in the first two weeks has been Will Rogers' defensive end. He's been jumping off sides more than he's been pressuring the quarterback. I think you need to see a better game out of him. Sam, I'll throw this over to you. 
Um, and I, we haven't really gotten to BC's defense just yet. Maybe we should. I mean, they've, they've got Isaiah Graham Mobley on that side of the ball, the Temple transfer, who's their second leading tackler with 13 tackles. Chris Banks, another Temple guy who left in the portal, is a backup defensive tackle there, just has one tackle in the first two games. Uh, 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 Shita Sila is their leading tackler so far, 14 tackles and a sack. He's a good player. So they've got some pieces there. They've got some players. This was a team that that went six and five last year uh, in the ACC. They played some teams really tough. They played North Carolina tough. They played Clemson tough. Um, I'll throw this over to you, Sam. If Temple, I wouldn't have said this last week, but you know how Kyle sometimes will say, "I'm trending positive. I'm trending negative." I, you know, I was sure. on with Pat Egan earlier today. Recorded an interview with him. That's that'll be on the Fanatics website. Uh, I'm Love doing it. a weekly thing with them. And I, you know, I think I said something to the effect of like, this might be maybe like a, a temple loss, but maybe it's a 28, 21 game, 28, 24 game. I feel a little bit better about it. If I say to you, temple wins this game and pulls off the upset because what has to happen in your mind? Here's also, here's my big thing. And I think if uh, the defense to use Kyle's verbiage trends upward from week one to week two, mm-hmm. and I think the defense has a good game. If they're put in positions if they're put single, uh, every single drive. So if, if Temple special teams can be, can have a solid day against BC, mm-hmm. that means that Temple's defense isn't, you know, playing 30, you know, defending their own 30 yards, every possession. Like if they're able to, if they're able to have the whole field to work with, I think that helps Temple's defense. And I think they do a lot better in that situation. So I'm going to say special teams has to help out Temple's defense because I think Temple's defense will take care of it if they're not, put in that kind of poor field position every possession. Uh, and then Justin Lynch has to have not a – not it has to be obviously better than what he was able to do in the two quarters against Rutgers, but it doesn't have to be as good as it was against Akron. I think he has to have a solid outing, no more, no less. I think if he gets help on the outside from Randall Jones and Jade Blue, I think if they're able to run the ball effectively between Ed Sadie, Rayvon Bonner, and Tavon Ruley, I – we don't know for sure if Trey Blair is going to be back, um, but if they're able to, if he's able to get some help from those from those weapons behind him and on the outside, and Justin Lynch has a solid game, I think that obviously contributes. But my my big thing going into BC is can Temple's special teams do enough to help out Temple's defense to put them in the position to succeed? Yeah, and I think we saw, you know, last week a little bit more. Um, you know, a little bit more from Devon Fox. He had that one 42 yard return was starting to make things happen a little bit more in the kick return game. Uh, Rory bell, even just getting a couple more touchbacks and not dropping kicks short. Um, you know, Adam Barry has continued to be fairly solid as a punter after being not all that good two seasons ago. So I, I think you bring up, you bring up a, an important piece there, you know, if they can, continue to, you know, minimize special teams mistakes for a second week in a row. And BC has someone that Temple has to be mindful in the return game, mindful of in the return game, Travis Levy returned to a kickoff for a touchdown last week, but I don't know. Um, again, I'm feeling a little bit better about Temple's chances in this game. Again, I am the farthest thing in the world from a betting expert. I am sure there is a reason why, you know, BC is still, I think, what, like a 16 and a half point favorite in this game. Um, but again, I think you have to overall like the way they responded at Akron. Again, never a good thing that they fell behind 14 nothing or were down 17 to seven at one point. But guys that needed to make plays, as simple as it sounds, started making plays last week. Randall Jones reminds you again that he looks like one of the better receivers in the American. We still haven't really seen a breakout game yet from Jaden Blue. Uh, but I think I think we'll probably see a similar game plan there where Justin Lynch tries to get the ball out to playmakers in space. Um, Sam mentioned, um, you know, we talked about injuries before. Again, Adam Klein, I don't know if we mentioned this at the outset, he's still considered to be day-to-day. Sam mentioned that Trey Blair is day-to-day, so not sure if those Winston guys will play. Too. Deshaun Winston at safety um, is day-to-day. Didn't play last week. And again, um, Jalen Ware played a little bit better. I asked I asked Rod about... Uh, the one pass breakup he had uh, in the end zone or near the end zone. And Rod said, yeah, he made up some ground there. I'd like his eye discipline to be better ideally so that he doesn't have to make up that ground. But um, 
I don't know. I, I think this might be, again, it's easy to say, well, they won after getting their butts kicked by Rutgers, but uh, two weeks ago, this might be more of a game, but you know, Jerkovic being out a little bit of an equalizer, but again, I think that we might actually be covering a pretty good college football game on Saturday, back at the link, getting the band back together. I'll be there. You'll be there. Uh, Kyle, Dante, Javon, uh, should be a fun game to cover. Uh, I don't know if we want to do predictions this week. If why not? Let's do a prediction. What do you have? Sure. Uh, prediction. I'm going to take BC 35 temple 28. Yeah. I think it's a one, I think it's a one score game. I think both teams put points on the board, but I think BC wins. Yeah. Um, and again, Isaiah Graham Mobley is starting up there. He's their second leading tackler with 13 tackles. So, you know, again, you have, a, you have that, you know, that storyline there. I mean, Pat Kraft, Temple's athletic director, uh, is now uh, Temple's former athletic director is up at BC now. So you'll have some fun storylines going into the game. Uh, but again, we saw from week one to week two, again, not an ideal start, but some actual development and looking around. And I think that the staff needed to see, okay, Hey, Justin Lynch, we threw him into this difficult situation. He responded. Will Cuenca is starting to look like a sixth year linebacker, a guy that hit, you know, got that extra COVID year. The coaches might be saying we needed him to make a play. He made a play. Manny Walker finally flashed Manny Walker after the game also fully admitted. Didn't he say like, yeah, you know, we didn't really paraphrasing here. He's like, you know, we kind of went into an, a bit of an empty stadium and, um, needed some time to get things going, but you know, temple needs that, that seems next- to be a bit of a theme. Not yeah, the empty, not not the empty stadium part, but we've heard from now. Uh, who did you who, who said that at, at Akron? Manny Walker said it last so, week, right? He, I'm not making right. I'm not making that up. Okay. He said, I mean, he so, was almost kind of like laughing about. It. He's like, yeah, we didn't, you know, didn't outright say, it, but yeah, we didn't. We weren't as prepared. We should have taken them a little bit more seriously, but I don't know. So that brings the tally to Amir Tyler after the Rutgers game. Manny Walker and then George Reed and Will Cuenca both like all four saying and not this is nothing incriminating but just that the, they've all they've all felt like they've gone into the first two games without the juice that they need to it's all been a mental thing they have like whether it's them whether it's the young guys whatever you attribute it to they've all been like this isn't right this isn't good we want to improve upon it but we right. fully admit that we went into both these first two games without the energy that we needed and it was something that we were able to pick up along the way Will Cuenca said specifically, um, like it's something like it's like he he says something along the lines of, "We're watching the film every day. We're putting in the preparation every day during the week. We're ready for that game. And then whatever it is on game day, when that kick, when you know when the game kicks off, that it's just like they're not ready right away, and it takes them a second, which could be part of the process of having a younger team and just getting in back into the into the crux of a normal season, but." it's something they need to figure out uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I'm obviously it's a common thing that you hear players say, if there is any sort of slow start any week in any program, they'll say, Oh, you know, well, we had, we felt like we, you know, how many times we've heard felt like we had a good game plan. We practiced well, juice wasn't there, but you're right. We have heard that two weeks in a row. Obviously the biggest, you know, anybody could say this if they, if they have that approach or if they start slow against BC on Saturday, again, even if they're down their starting quarterback, even if they're down, you know, their normal place kicker, I don't think BC is going to be as forgiving as Akron will be mentioned that we have a pretty full mailbag to get to here. So we want to spend some time on that. Got a ton of questions this week. Appreciate that from our alscoop.com subscribers. Got some football stuff, got some basketball stuff here. Let's get right to it. First question from Rockland Al. Thought we'd get some conversation about uh, conference realignment, obviously with UCF and Houston and Cincinnati leaving the American. Obviously a huge concern to Temple and the American. I get that. So we thought we'd get some questions here. And we have, which universities are the three most likely candidates for the uh, American Athletic Conference to pursue to replace UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati? Uh, great question. Still st- too, uh, too soon to tell. I mean, the athletic did a pretty good piece kind of breaking things down and suggest you check it out, but you know, you've got, um, you know, it's, this is kind of how conference realignment is discussed and covered at, you know, when stuff like this happens, the team that, or the league that gets poached, you think, okay, where do they go next? There are some intriguing options for a temple. Again, I get it. You know, fans want to see temple get into 
a bigger conference. And before we get to who is the American athletic conference going to replace these teams with, um, I know people have asked me, have you heard anything reputable about temple being in that next wave of, of teams that could join the big 12? I have not. Who knows what will happen in the future? I think Memphis might be a little bit better positioned. I know people don't want to hear that, but we'll see. Um, but again, I think the American could go in a couple of different directions here. I mean, if you, I don't know how likely it is. And, you know, there, there are some intriguing options out West, you know, do they want to try to, you know, try again to, to get Boise state for football? Do you want to get San Diego state? Um, is it coastal Carolina? Is it Liberty? Is it, you know, UAB has done wonders with their football program. They've done really well there. They've got an on-campus stadium, Mark Ingram, former temple associate AD is down there now as their athletic director and has done a good job. I, I get it. You're not going to get any big, big name programs. You, you, you know, they might have some options. We'll see how it goes. Um, in terms of the most likely candidates, again, I, I think it's too soon to tell a lot of it now with coverage, uh, covering conference realignment. It's kind of like those preliminary, who are the, the, the least uh, or the most likely candidates, uh, with coaching searches. Um, again, some intriguing options. Um, I don't know how far West temple will go. Uh, but I don't know. Those are some of the schools, coastal Carolina, again, the run through list, coastal Carolina, uh, UAB, um, you know, schools like that. And again, I get it. Fans are, are fed up and they're going to say, well, you know, where is Temple fit into this whole thing? Can they get into another league? I, I don't know. Um, but those are some of the programs that I would I would think of. Sam, am I missing any that you could you could think of? I think you covered it. I think we're in a very interesting time in the American. Uh, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of speculation, but I think you covered that well. Yeah. Um, next one here um, comes from TU1834 uh, from the message board again. Uh, which question about the team from last week was most answered and least answered by the Akron game? Uh, good question. Sam, what do you think? Uh, which question most answered and least answered? I think most answered was the the defense being, I take it back. Uh, most answered was Justin Lynch. I I, I think it's hard mm -hmm. to answer. Yeah. It was, he didn't play well against Rutgers because he was thrown on the fire and he kind of figures things out. I don't know if this is like, no, I take it back again. Least answered uh, special teams, still not anything to write home about. Um, no sign of major improvement uh, from week one to week two. I think, yeah, I think that the obvious one, what's most answered is, is very clearly Justin Lynch. For me, least answered, and I'm probably going to sound like a harsh judge when I say this, uh, considering the fact that the that the defense generated two touchdowns. Uh, I, the, to me, still the least answered question is how good is this front four, this front three? We've got a question later on about, you know, um, uh, actually it's the next one. Please explain this three, three, five defense. Um, so where they have three down linemen, four down linemen, where they're bringing pressure from to me, the least answered question is still how good is this defense going to be in pressuring the opposing quarterback again? They finally made some things happen against Akron. Can they do it this week against a much better offensive line? To me, that's the least answered question. Again, a positive thing that Manny Walker finally makes a play, that Cuenca gets in the end zone, that Leighton Jordan is starting to flash. Temple just needs to see more of that. So again, the next question here comes from the screen name Cool Hand Red. Please explain the 3-3-5 defense from what I saw on many plays. The holes opened up on our front, the holes open up on our front were big enough to drive a SEPTA bus through an opposing team that has a solid rushing attack is likely to eat us up with this extremely soft D front line. So I get that. I mean, obviously if you play a three, three, five defensive front, meaning three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. Um, I mean, this, I'm not, again, I'm not bringing news when I say this. I mean, you're, if you're lining up like that, you're saying, okay, we're more concerned about the pass. We want to keep you in front of us. We don't want to get hurt deep. So against a, uh, a much better team this week, uh, against Boston college, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they play them just because, you know, just because temple, just because you saw temple in a three, three, five on several snaps against Akron, doesn't mean that you're going to see them playing Boston college that way this week. Of course we'll see. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, again, BC, 
even though they're without their starting quarterback, they've still got some options. They've got two or three backs that they can run in there. You, they have a run game that you have to be concerned about. Um, but again, they have Zay Flowers, one of the best wide receivers in the entire country. So do they line up again in a three, three, five and, you know, is Temple content with saying, all right, we'll give up a chunk of four yards here, five yards here. We'll not let you drive down the field, but we want to keep the flowers in front of us. We want to keep some of these backs in front of us. And if you do get into the red zone, into the red zone, excuse me, we'll tighten up. So, you know, I don't think that any staff goes into a three, three, five defense or any sort of alignment like that and says, Hey, we're, we're happy with, or comfortable with like these huge running lanes opening up. You want to be confident. And one of Temple's problems is if you're running a three, three, five, again, like if the if the Rams in the NFL are playing a three, three, five, they're comfortable doing that because they have Aaron Donald there and they have one of the best defensive tackles in the, in the, in the game, or really the best defensive tackle in the game. Now temple doesn't really have that. They have some guys that they're excited about. They like Nick bags. He started to flash a little bit. They like Jaquavian Mahone, the Kentucky transfer. Um, but yeah, it's not like they have this bona fide talent that's developed to the point where you could say, Oh yeah, we're going to, put three down linemen there and we're fine. And uh, we're going to rely on one, you know, all American on the front three and one all American in the defensive backfield and be good. That's not where they are, but it might be something that you see them do against BC because of the type of receiver that Zay flowers is, but you know, we'll see. That's my best crack at an explanation there. Again, it just really is more of a setup where you're asking your front three to kind of hold things down up front and trying to keep people in front of you. So again, to Kuhan Red's question here, any opposing team that has a solid rushing attack is likely to eat us up with this extremely soft D front line. We'll see. Again, I, I don't know that if I were to offer a, a hypothesis or some sort of educated guess here, I don't know that you'll see them line up like that all the time, but I think that's the, the best explanation I could offer you there. So uh, We'll go with that for an answer, but a good question, Cohan Red. I get it. Uh, but again, the game plan could change from week to week based on on who they're playing. And again, obviously, BC does present some challenges there. And again, even with Jerkovic out, out of the uh, out of the lineup, you know, Grossel can run it a little bit too. So they do have to be mindful of that. I'm not saying that they're playing, you know, one of the top, you know, running quarterbacks in the country by any means, but. Yeah. Good question. We'll see how they come out on defense against a, a much better team. Um, next question comes from Dblay 75. His question prediction for attendance on Saturday. Another good question. You know, fans will be back in the link, uh, much different situation than last year. Again, by no means are we out of COVID, but, um, I don't know. Best crack at an attendance figure, Sam. I don't have a number, but I will say that I feel like everyone I've talked to, uh, friends wiser, friends of friends have all been like oh temple football game this like first game of the season they're very excited to to go to the game whether that's going to tailgate or actually going into the game they're excited to to be back in person and back at the link um i don't know i can't i can't give a number though i'm, I'm struggling yeah, with a number. i don't know i i would think um my best guess is maybe uh you know i, I well bc could probably bring a contingent down I'll go 24,000 for this game. Again, That's I think this is, this is always a fickle Temple fan base. If, uh, you know, in, in a perfect world, you want your fan base to be there week in and week out, especially if you, I don't know, you want to get into a bigger conference and you can uh, prove that your team can draw. You want to show up regardless, but I get it. If your team gives up 61 points in the opener, they fall behind 14, nothing to Akron. Maybe you're a fair weather fan and you say, oh, well, if they, play well against BC. Maybe I'll show up the following week, or maybe I'll show up to the homecoming game. We'll see. Uh, taking a shot in the dark here. Yeah. I'm saying maybe 24, 25,000 would be, uh, would be my best guess there. Uh, next question comes from Mike TB 31 is the screen game, uh, the screen name, not screen game. Um, us fans like to complain rightfully. So about the staff's lack of preparation with special teams, what is your take on why it seems the staff devalues special teams uh, is it the athletes, not actually this staff's fault? Uh, well, I don't know about that. The, this is Rod Carey's third season, and they, they're now three years into a recruiting cycle. Um, the scheme, their stubbornness to admit that pushing Ed Foley out was a bad decision, their belief that 
that focus was lacking in another department. So coaching resources were diverted elsewhere, et cetera. So what is our take on why it seems the staff devalues special teams? Um, I'll offer a crack at this and Sam, I'll turn it over to you after that. Look, I don't think that they, I mean, it's obviously, again, we've talked about before it is, it is just and fair to critique their performance on special teams. It's, it's been an issue since Rod Carey has gotten to temple. Um, I don't think that they devalue special teams. I think that they are more cautious, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. They tend to act like they're going to go after a kick. And then when they get to, you know, the up back, you know, the, the guys that are there trying to, to, you know, protect the punter, they tend to, they tend to hold off. So I think it's fair to say that they're more cautious. I think that they don't send the house all the time. Like, like Matt rule and, and Jeff Collins used to do, whether it was, you know, a Shree Finch or anyone else who was in that, in that position. So I get it. You know, what fan doesn't like to see their program be more uh, aggressive on special teams. I think they're more cautious. I think they would love to see, you know, Devon Fox get going in the return game or Jaden blue, get going in the return game. Um, yeah, I think, again, the more that Roy Bell could put some kicks out of the end zone and get some touchbacks or fair catches, the better your coverage units could look. Obviously, you want them to look good regardless if they are returning kicks, but I don't think they de-emphasize special teams. Any coach who's worth his weight knows, bottom line, if I don't win games, I'm losing my job. Out of my, I'm out of a job. My staff who followed me here to Philadelphia is out of a job. I don't know that they devalue it. Um, I think that and I think Dante might've mentioned this a couple podcasts ago. I mean, there are some, some teams out there that are so good in both phases of the game that they can say, we're just going to kind of try to keep things status quo on special teams and not screw up. Um, I don't think they de-emphasize it. I think they're more cautious. I'm not saying that you have to like that. Um, you know, the part about pushing Ed out granted, you know, Rod Carey said, I took Ed Foley off the field and I'm paraphrasing here because we wanted an extra defensive coach uh, on the field. That's his right. Ed Foley has obviously gone on to a, a great job in the NFL, working with Matt Rulgan with the Panthers. But yeah, again, it's going to come up. It's going to come up until things turn around, until they start returning some kicks or generating some stuff in the return game, maybe blocking a kick here and there, recovering a fumble. I get it. I might sound like a lukewarm answer for you here, Mike TB31. I don't think they de-emphasize it or devalue it. They know. They're, they're human beings. They hear the criticism. They know they're going to get the criticism. I think that they're more cautious than aggressive. And again, I get why fans don't like that. I don't know that I would say that they devalue it. Um, obviously, I think they were hoping that there wouldn't be a drop-off with Ed Foley leaving, but there has been. Uh, but again, a couple of good Devon Fox returns, some better coverage could have people feeling better about that. Um, you know, the, the punting has been better. We'll see, but I don't know. Again, I get it. It hasn't been great. I think things were a lot better last week. We'll see how things go again against a, a much better Boston College team. Sam, I'll turn this one over to you. I please tell me if you think this is a this is the way I see it now, and please tell me if you disagree. I think the best answer I can offer, and this is purely speculation because no one's really said anything specific uh, on why it is that they don't they aren't super aggressive on special teams. My thinking is it's they're putting resources elsewhere and they're trying to minimize mistakes. If they can, if they can go out on the field and not turn the ball over on special teams, then they're turning the ball over less than they might be if they were returning. Right. I think it's, I think it's a cautious play and I, it's a, it's a mix of a cautious play and diverting resources and time and energy spent elsewhere. I think if they can say on the, in the return game, uh, if we can just catch, just fair catch it, let it go with the, out of the back of the end zone and not, or just let it drop and let the other team touch it down. Then it's less mistakes on our end and we can focus on our offense being better. We can focus on guys that play special teams, let them focus on their positions, you know, don't straight to there. I don't know if it's, they're afraid of it or if it's just a cautious approach, but like it, it could be something of the idea of we want our guys to focus on the positions they play, which I fully understand goes against what a lot of guys have said about how important special teams is within the program and has been the last couple of years. Starters playing special teams, that's how these guys got their start, this, that, and the other thing. But that's my best guess right now. It's, it's a matter of diverting energy and resources 
and minimizing mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair take. I think, uh, again, what coach wouldn't love a return? What coach wouldn't love a block kick, uh, a block field goal? And they have gotten to a couple in their time here. And I, I you know, I, I don't want to shortchange, you know, I asked Amir Tyler about it a couple of weeks ago and he basically said, he's like, look, you know, we've had some guys that haven't made plays here. And again, I'm paraphrasing. He said, you know, it's going to be a next man up thing on special teams too. If we're not getting it done, they'll bring the next guy out there. So again, I, I you know, by no means am I saying that Brett Dearson and Rod Carey don't care, but I think it is fair to say that they probably, like you said, Sam, are probably offering more of a cautious approach there. It's also at least noteworthy that, uh, I mean, my best recollection is that Rod Carey's first year, they did return it a little bit. Uh, Isaiah Wright dropped his fair, hand, uh, his, his fair share of, uh, of kick returns and punt returns, um, or special teams didn't go great for them in that first year. So it's at least noteworthy that it was something they did a little bit of in his first year and then has kind of regressed. I, I just thought that was at least worth sharing yeah and i mean that's part of it and you bring up a good point that's part of the dialogue that really goes into this in their first season isaiah wright did not do what he had done more of in the past which was really be a factor in the return game so people look at that and say what's going on then ed foley leaves that's another thing that that drives criticism in that direction so um few more questions to get through here, uh, shifting over to some basketball stuff. Temple Jays, the screen name is the Hoops team, has started working out who looks bigger, faster, taller, and all around grown up. Uh, Temple Jay will tell you we haven't been able to cover a practice just yet. We'll probably have a, a better answer for you soon on that. Um, we'll get to him in a, in a couple of seconds, uh, and I'll segue over to Sam on this once we get to this question. I would say that maybe Jaleel White is probably a guy – who has probably added some strength, added some, you know, just some agility, um, you know, in he's, being out last year, you know, he's listed, he's listed as 10 pounds heavier than he was last year. Yeah. So um, we'll get to him in a second. There's a mailbag question uh, about him here. Uh, but again, we'll give probably have a better answer for you in a couple of weeks, maybe when, when there's some media availability and we can watch a little bit of a practice. Uh, and we'll, we'll be happier to talk more about what we see there, but a good question. Nonetheless, next question here comes from the screening West coast out projected starting five for basketball. Again, it's early, but they have been working out. They have been practicing. They have been, if you're, if you're temple hoping, uh, as we move, hopefully through COVID, they've been able to work out a lot more, gain some more cohesion. What's your best shot at a starting five? Again, I know we're, we're you know, recording this on, uh, you know, September, yeah. what's the date today? September 15th. 15th. So uh, still a ways out from the season, but starting five right now, what do you think? I'm hard pressed to give you like what I like that uh, what I'm saying now is going to be right or, you know, obviously things change. We know what we know right now. My best guess right now is Jeremiah Williams, Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn uh, Jaleel White and Jake Forrester. That's my best guess right now. And if I, and again, to amend that or to add on to that, I think they have the ability last year, they wanted to play eight, nine, 10 deep as the season progressed. They weren't doing that as much as maybe they would have liked to. I think this year more than ever in the Aaron McKeera, they're going to be able to play at least eight or nine deep. Yeah. And I think, and again, it'll segue us nicely into the, the next question here uh, about, about Jaleel White. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I think that obviously defense and rebounding are going to be big considerations here for, you know, do they, you know, you can get into that whole thing about it's not who starts, it's who finishes and all that stuff. But I, I think I'd go with that too. Again, we, we, talk, we talked about Jaleel White and how high the staff was on him before he got hurt. And he can really, you know, Jimmy said it, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Fennerty said it, Chris Clark has said it. They, they feel confident in him being able to guard just about you know, almost every position on the floor and being able to handle the ball, being able to play off the ball. Um, they've got some options there, but I, I'd be hard pressed to, uh, I'd be hard pressed to kind of, you know, say anything different there. Uh, again, things could change. I don't know that, you know, they're either intrigued by what they could get uh, in Emmanuel Okpomo as a transfer from Wake Forest. I'd be surprised if he starts, um, you know, Nick Jordan, you know, he did start, start a few games down the stretch. He's an intriguing piece. Uh, how much will Heisier Miller play? We'll see. But um, I think Jaleel, you know, again, if they are as high on him as they were before, 
then maybe he pushes to start and gives you uh, some flexibility there. And again, speaking of Jaleel White, he is in the next mailbag question here. This is a question from Berkshire Al. What are the expectations for Jaleel White this season? Sam, is your is your Jaleel White story out in the inquire? I should know that, but I don't know. That's not out yet, right? That's okay. Not yet. Yeah. So you just talked about, but you did talk to him. So this is, we're, we're yeah. promoting uh, future Sam Cohn content here, but you did just talk to you. You have a good story that's coming out. Uh, we will promote it now and tell people to look for it. It's going to be good. I've had a chance to take a look at it. Um, what are the expectations for Jaleel White this season? I'll turn this one over to you. Cause I think they are pretty high. Mm, yeah. So hopefully this doesn't get me fired. And if it does say la vie, but I uh, sometime next month, the plan is sometime next week, I'll have a, a profile story on Jaleel White, which I'm pretty excited about. I had a chance to talk to him, one of his high school coaches and Chris Clark for the story. And I got a lot of great insight about uh, the, what he's been through the last two years, uh, specifically his kind of return this summer, thinking about coming back from that injury, what he dealt with last year. You know, he said there were some good days and there were some bad days and it wasn't easy for him. Mentally, uh, he said, you know, the first time uh, he said something along the lines of like, it was a little bit easier mentally the first time than the second time. The second time was a little bit harder to swallow uh, just because he was a freshman in college. There, there were there were these such high expectations, as John mentioned. The most interesting thing, and I don't really get into detail on this in the story, but this is something that I definitely want to share with you and with all our listeners, John, is that uh, in my conversation with Chris Clark, I, we had talked a lot about where does he fit in how can you plug and play a guy like Jaleel White that is able to be a ball dominant guard and is also able to defend in the interior I mean Jaleel White a he got that when he got hurt the second time he was defending Nick Jordan in the post he's something he's done a lot of in practice lately is being able to defend not saying he's doing a ton of it but being able to defend guys like Sage or Jake in the post he's at least getting those reps and Chris described him as a guy that you can really plug in anywhere and the, the really interesting thing that stood out to me was he said when they play teams like Houston and Cincinnati, Justin Gorham is going to have to guard Jaleel White. And Jeremiah Davenport is going to have to guard Jaleel White. He's going to cause a real problem. He's going to junk up a lot of matchups for opposing teams because he can play so many different positions. And Chris said, obviously, at the end of the day, it's up to Aaron about where he ends up in the lineup. But he's the kind of kid that can play in different ways, depending on who he's on the floor with. When you think about someone like Justin Gorham, who is the best rebounder in the American, and Jeremiah Davenport, who is a top 20 rebounder in the American, those are both guys that do really well. I mean, Justin Gorham plays more of a forward position than Davenport um, from Cincinnati, but those are both guys that thrive defending and then being able to attack uh, on the on the offensive and defensive glass. If Jaleel White is the kind of guy that can draw in those kind of bigger defenders while playing on the perimeter, that changes a whole they, he, he opens up the floor so much and he changes that he's a really hard guy to game plan for because on any given night you don't fully know what you're going to get from him. I'm not saying he's going to come out against um, I think USC is their first non-conference game as of right now. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to come out against a really good USC team and everyone's going to be like, that dude looks like Michael Jordan is prime. He's not going to be like the greatest Temple player ever, but it, it sounds like the expectations they have for him in terms of what they've seen from him in practice, his jump shot isn't all the way there, but his ability to create plays, his ability to really defend. And that's really the big thing uh, that stood out is like, this the way they talk about him as a defender is the way they talk about Nate Pierre-Louis as a defender. And I don't want fans to make the comparison of, them as defenders. I don't want them to make comparisons to them as shooters or players in general. It's just like that mentality of they really, really work hard and care about like working on the defensive side of the floor. So he's a really interesting prospect and someone I think I'm going to have my eyes on a ton once we're able to see any form of practice or once they get into the season about what he looks like and how he fits into that rotation. Sam Cohn is back in his groove talking hoops terrific scouting report love that one last question to bring you guys home this one comes from dblay 75 a basketball question here who will be someone off the bench the temple can rely on to come in and score in bunches if battle and don are off their game another good question what do you think that's a very good um i mean is it uh, scoring bunches we have to we i have think to you're see. you're there are some you're, intriguing options there i want to hear what you say first I think your score in bunches guys are your Caleb Battle and your Damian Dunn and potentially your Jeremiah Williams. I mean, we don't really know what Quincy Adam McCoy looks like a year later. Um, but it's what if Battle, I, but it's what if Battle and Dunn are off their game? Who's the next person that could score in bunches? 
I'm going to give you a weird answer. I think Nick Jordan could be a guy that can come out and score in bunches not, because I agree. I, that's who I was going to say. I don't think that's a weird answer at all. Sounds a little bit surprising or my own head feels surprising to say just because like he played more of a forward position, not something they super relied on a ton of to be able to put the ball in the hoop. But he was a guy that showed he can stretch the floor. He can step out and knock down a shot. So he's uh, and with some with some kind of consistency. So I think Nick Jordan's probably the best answer I can give right now. But that I think that I just dropped my phone on the floor. I think that Hasir <laughs> Miller uh, could be another one of those guys that if he is a guy that works his way into a rotation, into a rotational piece, maybe he's a guy that gives them a little bit of a spark uh, at certain points. But I'd say Nick Jordan's probably my best answer. Yeah, and I think, look, I think it's, you mentioned Quincy Adam McCoy, and I think this is an important season for him because there are a lot of guys at his position now. And obviously Quincy Adam McCoy, people were excited about him coming out of high school in Georgia and, um, you know, there were some programs we've talked about this before who wanted him to reclassify and Temple got what looked at the time, like a pretty good player. And again, he's got some intriguing potential. He can really shoot it. He's got some length to him. He's got some athleticism to him. Um, if he becomes that guy who can score in bunches, then this team could really be humming on all cylinders. So I think that's an opportunity for him to get going this year. We talked a lot about, uh, we talked a lot about Jaleel White. I think if you're comparing shooter versus shooter, Quincy's a much better shooter right now, uh, you know, than Jaleel White is, but it's an opportunity for Quincy Adam McCoy to maybe be that guy. But yeah, I think you said it, Nick Jordan proved it a little bit last year. He's got a really nice looking jump shot. He's got some versatility to him. I think it's a little too soon to say that Zach Hicks could come in and be that guy. I think long-term, they really want him to be that guy who can come in and score in bunches. Uh, we'll see how good um, I see Miller is from the outset in terms of affecting the action. He does try to get to the rim. He could be that driving dish guy. How is he going to be at the next level in college playing against the Houston playing against the Cincinnati where you've got some really long six foot seven, six foot nine guys that can affect shots. That's something he's going to learn how to do, but I like the Nick Jordan, Nick Jordan answer. And, um, yeah, maybe Adam McCoy could be that guy. He certainly, Certainly this, this would be the time to, to do it. So um, thank you all for the mailbag questions and the full mailbag this week. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, missed Kyle, missed Dante this week. Hopefully we'll have him back next week. Big thanks to Sam to be in for me. Uh, got some football to cover Saturday, Temple BC. We'll be back next week to talk about that. Uh, answer more of your mailbag questions. We're looking forward to it. And we will talk to you soon.